Tug, Kit Holden. Uh, is that Christopher, or were you named Kit? Uh, no, it is Christopher. Yeah, good question. Oh. I uh, yeah, but I'm generally called Kit. But on my on my passport, it does say Christopher. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I've ever met a Kit. Um, so it's lovely to meet you. You are in Berlin, uh, where you are already enjoying uh, Union Berlin's new season. Are you used to all these new players? Yeah, I just read that you've hired about ten people. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of it, it, for the last three years or, or four years, it's been pretty much the same drill every summer that Union squad just. Basically, they just scrap it all and start again and <laughs> ship out nine players and bring in nine new players. So, yeah, it's always a bit of a kind of, both for the team and I think the fans watching, getting used to the new numbers and the new faces, it's always a bit of a, a, bit of a process. But they seem to seem to still be able to maintain the kind of stability and stuff that, uh, that has kept them on the rise for the last few years. So, yeah, counterintuitively, it, it seems to work, uh, just re- reshaping your squad every 12 months. And, and this rise is documented in Scheisse. We are going up, which um, comes out as this goes out um, last week. So I'm putting this out with the book already in the world, um, published in English. Is it also published in German? It is not published in German yet. Uh, watch this space. It may well be in the future, but uh, yeah, that's a work in progress. And it is a £14.99 paperback. Uh, there are some problems in the UK to do with supplying books to Waterstone. So there are alternative warehouses named after Brazilian rainforests that you can, you can get this book. But have you got a copy? Have, have you held a copy of the book? I have, yeah. I have a, a box of, of ten copies next to me, most of which are going to be uh, immediately delivered out to, to deserving people in the next sort of few weeks. Um, but, yeah, it's quite exciting, really. It's, uh, it's my first book, so it's, uh, yeah, an unusual feeling. So, no, uh, congratulations. Uh, I would hope one of them would go to Herr Christian Arbeit, whose name is kind of in neon on my uh, note paper. This guy... Uh, from the little I've seen and read about him, he would be a kind of Fred Syriax TV star in Britain. I don't know why we haven't leapt on this guy, Christian. What does he do, and has he contributed to your book? <laughs> well, yeah, he, he certainly has. He's, uh, so the book is, is uh, essentially made up of about 12 interviews with, with different kind of Onion fans and people around Onion over the decades, and Christian is one of the chapters, one of the people I've interviewed, um, and he is communications boss at, at O'Neill, and he, he heads up the media department and uh, is the club spokesperson and runs the press conferences and things like that. He's also uh, kind of shot to fame, if you like, in the small world of Berlin <laughs> football uh, by being the, the stadium announcer at O'Neill. And, yeah, he, he looks a bit more kind of... Um, he had very long hair and a beard and, and yeah, was sort of slaps onto the pitch in jeans and t-shirts and uh yeah developed this kind of very distinctive ritual before each game of announcing the player names and a uh, particular kind of call and response so he's kind of been the face of the club for, for pretty much the last 15 years which is pretty much the period in which they've they've gone from basically being on the brink of, of bankruptcy to uh, and you know in the in the fourth tier to to now being in the europa league and and one of the most kind of healthy clubs in germany so yeah, he's a he's a um, an interesting guy, and uh, as I say, his kind of his, his sort of rock and roll image has uh, has matured over the years. Mm. Um, he's definitely uh, yeah a well loved figure at the club. Uh, I can't wait to read more about him, especially because, as you say, Union are in the Europa League. Uh, the draw, I guess, will be after all the qualifying rounds. Uh, yes, it will. It will be twenty seventh or twenty eighth or something mm-hmm. like that. So actually, really, really. Um, 
uh, close to that first round of games, which uh, means a bit, a bit tight organisationally. But uh, yeah, very exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously selfishly hoping for a, for a United or an Arsenal, just because <laughs> it'll be good for the book and uh, it'll be it'll be fun for me as a as a British German. So. Is that dog who is barking in the background also hoping for an English club? I think so. I think, or well, he might be taking taking great umbrage to the idea that Arsenal should be playing in the Oxford Stadium. I don't know. Maybe he's a Spurs fan. He's he's actually not my dog. His his name is Barkley, and he lives he lives across the road from me. Yes, uh, I love that he's, he's called Barkley. That is the best <laughs> name for a dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, this book, Scheisser, which means crap, um, that is not the reaction of any football fan to going to the Bundesliga. So for the last few seasons, Dortmund and uh, Bayern. So the, my question is, if Bayern are FC Hollywood, what are Union Berlin? Ooh, um, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult. There's an argument to say that they're kind of like punk band uh, or some kind of indie, indie film company and, you know, based out of someone's basement in Dalston mm-hmm. or something. And there's an argument to say that they're, they're straight up Parisian Nouvelle Vague. And there's an argument that you, you can interpret them in a lot of ways, but, but effectively I think they would like to see themselves. And I think a lot of people do see them at the club as a club, which has so far managed to remain in touch with its kind of roots and it's in its, in the community that, that essentially has, has kept it going over the years and the region and, and yeah, the local community effectively. And I think that kind of, that, that was essentially why this kind of joke of, of Shaisa we're going up uh, emerged when they, when they first started pushing promotion a few years ago, which was essentially in the second division, that was, that was a good environment for a club of one-year-one size. And it meant that they could, you know, watch some good football, but they were never really in danger of, of the club selling out too much because it was still the second division and, you know, uh, all the kind of ills that come with elite football were still a long way away. And so when, when it started to look like they were going up, the fans kind of semi-jokingly said, well, you know, do we really want this? You know, is, is this actually going to be good or is it just going to turn on yawn into, into just another kind of top-flight European club with sponsor we don't like and with a stadium which is no longer all standing and, and all these things that actually we don't want here uh, and we, we'd rather not be, not be so good at football but, but have the, the atmosphere and the, the sense of community that we've always had. Um, and so, yeah, the book is book is about that process as well. And then, typically, the second half of the book is kind of yeah, asking that question of, of can a club once they once they reach the top level still still retain all those kind of unique and and yeah idiosyncratic and, and authentic things that that make people love them. Now, I was um, going to ask what about the press coverage, but I imagine you will be uh, at this game in uh, Copenhagen, which is the easternmost bit of Berlin. Uh, Union Berlin were one of the many teams set up in the Aussie era of the 60s, or they, they existed before, and they became the People's Team. And the People's Team are going to welcome FC Hollywood uh, on September 3rd, so it's sooner than I thought. Uh, that's probably, the uh, outside the Hertha game, the biggest game of the season, because Bayern have been champions for the last 26 years. Is it fun, and you, you write various bits of journalism, is it fun to report on a league where you know who's going to win? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, yes and no. Obviously, it is dull, and I think everyone... I mean, I grew up as a Bayern fan, actually. Uh, it was kind of my link to Germany as a kid, and, and you know, for, for various reasons, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think all, all football fans fall out of love with their, with their clubs at some point, and uh, 
one of the one of the reasons I'm kind of not not such a passionate Bayern fan anymore is because effectively it is boring, you know, to, to see a team win the league every every single year, and it's boring for everyone else. And I think everyone, including the Bayern fans, would would like there to be a change in that respect. But at the same time, I do think the Bundesliga has a lot more. You know, I don't think it's misleading to say just because the title race is is predictable every year um, and like clockwork. Um, the league is boring. I mean, it's still one of the, the leagues in Europe which has the greatest level of, of mobility and you still have the scope for a club like, well, a club like Union and a club like Freiburg, for example, who, who just with some, some good management, putting the right people in the right places, bringing up the right kind of players, can go from being effectively a second division-sized club to regulars in Europe and, and sniffing around the kind of the, the top four spots. You have a club like Frankfurt who for ages had similar similar problems to a lot of the traditional clubs in Germany where, you know, there's just such a big fan base and there's such a big thing in their city that it's it, they're often kind of lurching from crisis to crisis. But no, in the last few years, they've, they've also overachieved. They've won the Europa League last year. They've won the Cup against Bayern a few years ago. I mean, I think there is scope in the Bundesliga for good work to be rewarded. Um, and I think that that does make it an exciting league beyond the title race. But yeah, it is. It is. On your own too, I mean, they, they've done relatively well against Bayern in the few years they've been in the first division. But yeah, when Bayern come in, in September, the you know, obviously a 1-1 draw would be a, an incredible mm-hmm. success even for the team who finished fifth last year because the, the, the gap in quality is, is so big. And the, the reason Bayern are so great is because, yes, they get the European money. They poach the best players uh, from the rest of the Bundesliga when they do well against. But Man U used to do that. Uh, so this isn't new. But... This is where I must mention the uh, Fumpsig uh, minus Eintz, which is the, um, the, the ownership. Because we know Bayern are owned and Bayer Leverkusen are owned by the Wolfsburg, are owned by these huge companies. Who owns the 50 minus one-ness of Union? Uh, I see. So you're saying who, who uh, yeah. owns the, the other half? Who yeah. owns the other um, half minus a share? Yeah, so so on your own, it's it's entirely it's what they call Nago Tagnafine and it's 100 percent that. So um, it's one of the few remaining top clubs that are that are still under that uh, oh, okay. system. So it's 100 um, percent. Yeah, effectively, you can say member owned. I mean, it, it's a club, so there are members. They pay uh, membership fees and they vote for their um, well their board, and then the board elects the sort of executive board above them, uh, which is the president and, and the people who actually make make the decisions. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it's kind of it, it, in some ways it's a little bit misleading to say 100% fan owned because that it is still slightly different to one of these clubs like FC United and Manchester something like that where it's actually the fans who have, who have created it as a as an entity with uh, with Union. It was it was created by the East German state and uh, and is now and has always been subject to the ideas of it's a club with members and you can become a member if you want to and then you have a voting right. Um, but yeah, that is different to say Bayern who are still, I think they're about 80% um, owned by their members and, and 20% by Audi, Adidas uh, and some other sponsor. And that's that's quite a common one, common thing in German football now. Borussia Dortmund uh, uh, a very complicated system where they're effectively actually 99% owned by a stock company on the which is, which floats on the market. But oh, um, okay. because of the rules, the, the, the members still have kind of the power to, to vote people in and out. But um yeah, most most clubs now have a kind of a compromise thing, but on your one of the, the few remaining, I think Schalke are another one, um, which is 100% member. Yeah, Schalke doesn't surprise me. I've been to the uh, to Westphalia, and uh, yeah, that's very very working class. Um, what do Union's fans thus make of the 
maybe I can't name the soft drink company who own Leipzig, um, <laughs> just in case. Uh, or Dietmar Hopp at Hoffenheim. These are clubs that have risen through the leagues because of the cash injection, whereas Union, being entirely member-based, must stand opposed to them. So what's it like when Hoffenheim or Le- Le- Leipzig come to Copenhagen? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, you said you said earlier um, maybe Bayern was the second biggest game after Hertha. I would, I would probably say that the Leipzig game is is much bigger for the on your own fans, partly because of that that antipathy, and and certainly that's true of clubs across the league that nobody really likes RB Leipzig mm-hmm. because of yeah. because of this, this fact that they're backed by Red Bull, but but on your own there's a certain kind of regional both clubs in the form inside the territory of the former East Germany. So there's a sort of local local rivalry there as well, which which makes it even more. Fierce and and I mean, yeah, I think they're playing them in two weeks' time. Um, I should be at that game, and and we expect, as has been at the case in every home game they played against them in, in second division and the and the Bundesliga, um, that the fans will remain silent for fifteen minutes at the start of the game as a as kind of symbolic protest against um, against Red Bull. And I think it's worth pointing out here that the the, the real problem people have with with RB Leipzig and Hoffenheim clubs like this is, is not so much that. They're, they get a cash injection and they they shoot up the league and it's and it's unfair. I mean that's part of it, but but essentially the big issue is that it undermines this this uh, idea of of fans having a say in how their club are run. Because I mean, effectively these clubs do play by the rules, but they twist the rules to to such an extent that they're it's a completely different system to something to the way there's a little union or other clubs where where there are thousands of fans and members and they all have a vote and a say and there's an AGM. At Leipzig, they are technically a, a club with members, but there are only, I think, seventeen members, so nobody else can become a member, and, and so it's a fixed, essentially, <laughs> you could call it a kind of an oligarchy almost within mm. within the club structures. Um, and you know, there's an argument to say Leipzig fans would say, "Well, look, this is a city with a proud footballing tradition. None of the traditional clubs were, you know, doing well. It's really great that this company has come in and, and given the city Bundesliga football, and you know the." Club does does lots of things on the pitch very well and, and can challenge Bayern and, and why should we hate it? But fans at, at clubs like Union would would argue, well, no, look, this sets a precedent for the fans essentially becoming disenfranchised, um, which needs to be fought very hard against. And that's why they'll they'll stage these protests, such as being silent for the first fifteen minutes as a kind of symbolic gesture to say this is what football looks like without fans. Uh, it's rubbish. Um, so yeah. Be careful! Be careful of disenfranchising fans, basically. Well, I think I'm popping this up uh, just uh, before Man U Liverpool and Man U fans are not happy. They're thinking about standing outside the ground and not going in, and it's difficult to feel sorry for Manchester United fans because they had 20 years of glory, and they haven't won the title for 10 years. And indeed, they might well be drawn against Union Berlin, which will be hilarious um, for all concerned. It's one of those kind of um, the fleets meet football matches where you have the might of Manchester United and then plucky little Union, who seem to be the most talked about club in Europe. You'll probably be aware, Kit Holden, who's written, Scheisse, we are going up. Um, that Sky Sports, Copper 90, Talk Sport, who call them the Dulwich Hamlet of Germany. ESPN calls them your new favourite team. This is all publicity, which is good. But your average member of Union probably doesn't want more fans. So how is the dichotomy of a fan, even for 10 years like you, um, adjusting to the fact that you are the new Dortmund, the new Mainz, the new Atalanta, the hipster club? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. And I think it, in some ways 
they they've kind of been protected from from worst of, of, of that sort of process so far just because the stadium is still basically too small to let any any new fans in um it, it's still at, at around twenty two thousand capacity the plans to, to expand it which are long overdue and much needed uh, expansion because the competition of tickets is so high at the moment um they they've been delayed and it's been put back a few years and hopefully it'll start next year um it will then go up to, to i think about thirty seven thousand. At which point you have twofold aid. The competition for tickets goes down, so there's a bit less tension there between you know different people vying for tickets and perhaps older fans feeling that you know they've been to a new their whole lives and now they're not able to go because you know some hipster has come and, and wants to watch some Bundesliga football. So in some ways it's good that, that, that there's more space for everyone, but in other ways it, that's a danger because it does mean that more people can come just casually. And, and one of the things that that makes Union so special is that. You know, it's not like Dortmund or most clubs where one end of the stadium is is a fantastic atmosphere and, and you know, deafeningly loud and, and sings the whole game and the rest kind of more often than not sits politely and watches and, and joins in every every 15 minutes or so. But on your own, it really is three sides, at least of the stadium, if not four, are singing the whole game. And that, that atmosphere and that kind of sense of, of everybody being there and everybody putting their weight and getting behind it is quite special. And whether or not that will be the same when, you know, suddenly you've got two tiers of stands and uh, a few more seated areas and uh, just just more people and more people who, who, you know, might not want to sing for the whole game, fair mm. enough. Um, that might change the atmosphere a little bit. And I think that's, that's I mean, people are wary of that. But I think I think broadly... There's there's not too much tension at the moment. There's less than than one might expect actually, and I think I think a lot of Union fans, partly because it's going so well on the pitch as well, are still just kind of blown away by a how how good the team is at the moment, and b how popular they are, and how many people uh, kind of are enchanted by it. And anybody coming from anywhere in Europe, and or you know elsewhere in Germany or whatever, who who wants to go to an Union game, I think the the general thing to remember is that you're you're welcome. You're definitely welcome, and, and people will be friendly to you and chat to you and be interested in you and all, all they really ask in return is that that you join in and you know even if you don't know the words shout a bit you know don't complain that you get drenched in beer a little bit when they score or don't don't complain that someone's smoking in front of you you know just just mm. embrace it as it is and then and then they'll welcome you too and, and if it's not for you then then don't come again <laughs> yes and, um, and don't complain that there's no da 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 from the loudspeakers, yeah. um, because I, I, I imagine there'll be chance for the player who scores the goal. Yeah, exactly. So actually, most most um, German clubs do have goal music. Uh, it's a common thing, and on your are very proud of, of not having uh, any goal music. It's, it's very simply a, a little call and response from aforementioned Christian Arbeit, who yeah says the player's first name and then shout the second name and shout Fußball God, which is football God, um, which any Union <laughs> player, regardless of whether they've played two minutes as a substitute in, in, in their first game in a friendly or played for them for 15 That's years is, is automatically a full It's going to be very weird for Taiwo Aoyini uh, to, um, when he scores for Forest, which he will, because they paid a lot of money for him. Uh, to, it's like, like when Hail to the Chief plays when a president enters the room and suddenly when you're not the president, you don't have that song. Uh, but Aoyini, who moved from Liverpool to Berlin to kickstart his career, uh, Became a football god, and uh, obviously Steve Cooper knows him quite well. Uh, so he's gone to Forest like everyone else. Uh, there are several players uh, whose names I don't recognise playing for Union. 
the captain is Christopher Trimmel. Does he have a role in the community? Does he kind of get mobbed uh, or do people come up to him in East Berlin when he's kind of shopping or out drinking or something? Yeah, I, I, I imagine he does, and, and increasingly so. I mean, he's a uh, he's, he's a very, very well loved player, and right. So, I mean, partly it's it's just one of those sort of heartening stories of effectively he was um, he's Austrian, and he came from from Rapid Vienna um, in 2014, and, and played for Union through most of the kind of second division years. Um, and when they came up, you you know, it wasn't necessarily to be expected that he would be able to raise his game to such an extent that he could he could retain the captaincy and, and retain his first team place. But he did, and I think that's that's kind of always heartening for any football fan because it kind of there are some players you watch and then it's like okay, you've got natural talent that, that I can never aspire to, and and that's why you're a professional footballer. And then there are some players who look like they're there just on pure graft alone, and and Trimble is one of those and. And he's also just he's, he's just a very very amateur and approachable guy, and he rides a Harley Davidson and, mm. and is brilliant at DIY and has his own tattoo parlor and all. He's basically just the, you know, the footballer that everybody wants to be. Brilliant. Um, and so yeah, he's he's a he's a well up player. The goalkeeper Runo is the third choice for Denmark, uh, and he would have been on the sidelines when Christian Eriksen collapsed last year. Has he talked about that? Um, not that I have seen. I might be wrong about that. I might have missed it. But yeah, he's he's just become first choice. Having kind of arrived last year and played played behind Andy Rutter for most of last season. Um, so and I'm I'm actually I've got some of my family are Danish, so I'm a big Denmark fan. So I'm I'm always really excited. Really, well, you Danish must be very excited forward. because there's there's a a few Scandies uh, in the Union team. Is there just a pipeline? Is can Union just offer these players? Uh, unless they're Holland and they go in at Dortmund or, or the other club in East Germany. But is there a kind of conveyor belt? I like to call Dortmund a departure lounge club. It seems that Union or Ajax even, these departure lounge clubs where you don't expect to be there unless you hit a level. So is it a, a passage? If these players are good enough, they'll go to England or France. Uh, or maybe these kind of Scandies like what's going on because it is a working class community. In, in a one of Europe's fine cities. Yeah, I think I think there's there's sort of various degrees. I mean, there are players like Avani who clearly you know, were there to use it as a springboard for for, for something else, and um, were kind of destined for bigger things. And then there are yeah, maybe players like Tremel or, or or others who maybe actually I think are attracted to Onion now because they see that on the current constellation at Onion, the current coach was Fisher, and and current kind of atmosphere at the club actually has has made a lot of players, you know, 50% better than, than anybody thought they could be. Um, you know, there's just the kind of ease of which you can integrate apparently into this team and into this club and the kind of secure environment and, and, and the optimism and the euphoria surrounding it, I think does has brought out a lot of, of, of players who, who maybe didn't expect to be playing at that level. Um, I think that does attract players and, and I think there are, yeah, a lot of players who who would stay longer. I mean, quite often you see players leave, and they, you know, they're they're even if they've chosen to leave or, or not, they're they're very emotional and, and very upset to leave the club because I think it is it is quite a special atmosphere there and, and quite a family atmosphere. So I think it, I think they've done well to sort of carve out a niche on your own where where they're able to offer players something that they don't necessarily see getting at other other clubs of a similar size, and that's that's why they're they're still able to kind of. Sign ten new brilliant players every every summer and, and retain the stability and, and upward curve. Has someone tried to poach Urs Fischer, the coach? Not yet. Um, it, it, it can only be a matter of time. I think it was the end of end of the season before last. The it's been twenty twenty one. 
and they just got into the conference league and uh, someone we asked them about it in, in one of these sort of end of season round tables that they they do and um, someone said oh oh Mr Fisher you must be uh, uh, have you had any had any phone calls in the last few days because you must be looking pretty uh, pretty attractive for other clubs and Fisher sort of very dryly just looked at him and said maybe I'm not as sexy as you think I am very <laughs> uh, <laughs> good uh, it... it seems. Sorry, is the is the comparison Gasparini Atalanta? Um, there's a book that's just come out about Atalanta, which seems very similar. It's Bergamo. It's very small. They're competing with the Milanese clubs, and if a player does well, they go to Milan. Uh, but can any other club? Uh, maybe tactically, this is where we talk tactics. It seems that he plays three at the back, very defensive. Um, they don't leak so many goals. They scored fifty last season. Uh, if they'd, I think, if they beaten Leipzig they would have been ahead of them at the end of the season so this is a deeply impressive team performance but are they good to watch um not always no. they're certainly a lot better to watch than, than they were when I started going in the second division but I think I think yeah Fisher is, is very much a pragmatist and as you say it's all based really on on that kind of everybody knowing they're all in the team having that that solid base at the back from which you can build and uh, in the last few years, the, he has developed something more, something you know, a bit more attractive and a bit more free flowing that that comes out when when the form is good and the confidence is high and and you know when you're on an hour team, which you, you can, if needs be, dominate possession and 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 take the game by the scruff of the neck in that sense. But but they also remain a team who can who can grind out really scrappy wins. I mean, essentially they're in the Europa League this season because last year they they hit a very bad run of form and then managed to turn it around. I think it was in. March or April with a, a really, really ugly 1-0 win against Cologne at home. That was, you know, testament to the fact that they are that kind of base of officious football, which is, yeah, very, very straightforward, pragmatic, not particularly pretty to watch, is, is always there and they can always fall back on that when, when times are hard. Now, they seem, uh, the book Scheisse, We Are Going Up, um, is out uh, was, as we're speaking a week today and I hope to uh, flick through the pages and see some of the photos of fans giving blood and the stadium full of people and Urs Fischer being lifted like a king, because uh, he is a football god, Urs Fischer. Um, they, they were in the fifth tier in 2005, but the new owners or the, the new people elected to own the club or run the club have built sensibly. How have they done it? Well, I think essentially they've, they've done it by not, not ever getting too far ahead of themselves. I mean, in, in some ways it's... It, it's it's a very, very surprising rise because back then on your own, one of, of lots of smaller fallen giant Berlin clubs who are kind of much smaller than the big club Hertha. Um, and really it could have been any one of them. It could have been Tennis Borussia or, or BSC Dynamo or any of these clubs that, that did what Onion did. But I think there always was scope for a club to do it. And Onion had the, the benefit of in a very different place of the city to, to Hertha, having an established fan base that was probably bigger than some clubs already. And having fans who are willing to muck in, and, and at the start, you know, they were pretty much financially on their knees, and, and a lot of the things they needed to do to, to get the club back to kind of any level of stability and success, such as renovating the stadium, they had to turn to fans to, to do and, and get fans to volunteer and help out um, time and time again, just because the money simply wasn't there. And the fact that they, they were able to do that is, is I think, testament to, to this community and, and how much it means to, to so many people in the kind of districts around, around the stadium. And then once once they kind of got through that period, it was they were in the second division, and then effectively just looked to consolidate there and did that very well. Spent ten years being a you know I wouldn't say boring, but it, but but 
very rare they would have a serious promotion charge, very rare they would get into um, a relegation fight. They were a mid-table second division team for a long time. And that slow growth effectively allowed them eventually to say, OK, you know, we, we can launch a, an attack on the on promotion now. And they got Fisher and, and Oliver Runa, the, the sporting director, at, at just the right time and, and sort of kind of kicked on from there. But I don't think anybody expected, even within the club, that, that the last four years would be so, so successful and, and they would keep hitting these new heights. I think, I think most people thought there's a chance we'd go back down again. That does happen. It's not a disaster. But ideally, the aim was just to kind of consolidate and... and do what they've done in the second division, which is become a mid-table side in in, in the Bundesliga, and uh, yeah, so far they've they've soared above those expectations. And you have lived in Berlin for ten years now, and it seems I'm very excited to read this book because it seems that you have used Union as a microcosm of how Berlin or, or Ostberlin has changed from communism to cool. Indeed, Musa Akwanga has moved to Berlin. I don't know if Musa is someone that you've met up with in the football football community in Berlin. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's around. I've bumped into him occasionally. Excellent, um, good. The, um, yeah, so essentially, I mean, the, the, the idea is, is that this kind of sentiment of, of Scheiße we're going up was, was uh, an expression of Union's kind of collective psyche and the concerns about uh, the way the club would... would uh, go if they if they got promoted but it's also something i think that kind of resonates to to the wider city because as berlin has kind of essentially in the period after the wall it was it was you know there wasn't much money in the city there was a lot of space there was a lot of um yeah space for creatives to do to do interesting things whether that was in the techno scene or art or whatever it was there was something that made berlin different to say paris or london and and as it's kind of Time has gone on, and, and you know more developers have come in and, and, and built these big buildings in between the spaces, and, and pumped a little money into the economy. And, and Berlin has kind of grown up a little bit, one might say, and, and become a bit more kind of normal as a city. And, and that process is, in some ways, welcome, but in some ways, it is a shame because it means that, that certain things which made it unique do do start to suffer and and, and have little or less than their space to grow and, and to flourish. Um, and I think it's, a, it's a, a very kind of common refrain in Berlin as well as at Union that, you know, is, is the city losing its soul? Is, is kind of success and, and uh, stability, which the city never really had for a long time, is that actually a, a kind of poison chalice because it, because it means that effectively you just end up with, with the kind of same, same issues that, that all cities have, you know, gentrification and housing crises and the kind of slow sanitization of, of working class areas and things like this and, and these are things that Berlin didn't have to struggle with for quite a long time because the city was just traumatised enough, if you like, from yeah. uh, from its history. But uh, now it's having to struggle with, and, and so that yeah, that shite that we're going up. Kind of the idea is that it resonates beyond. So I've tried to kind of trying to work that in as well and, and mm. talk a little bit about about the direction the city's going. I was really affected by the lives of others. Uh, I thought that was just an incredible piece of cinema because it told a longitudinal story about the Stasi spying on artists and writers. And it was scary that that could happen post-1930s in Germany. And rather, rather than retread what all Germans are indoctrinated with from a young age, which is, we did it, we're sorry, we're not going to do it again. Um, this uh, kind of rise in, in, the, in the modern uh, Germany of um, the Die Mannschaft, so where were you in the 2014 World Cup triumph? Did you did you go? 
Uh, no, I, I actually went to Brazil just before, um, but I was uh, in Germany for the, the tournament itself. So I, uh, yeah, as a as a Germany fan who had who had suffered a bit in the previous two tournaments, mm-hmm. I, I was running down the streets of Kreuzberg in delight when uh, when Goetze scored the winner. And we um, should say actually, uh, Rani Kadira plays for Union. He does, yeah. He's, he's now uh, vice captain, in fact. Yeah, the brother the of Sammy, brother. who who played in that 2014 team. Uh, I munched through Das Reboot, which is Rafa Honigstein's great book on um, the rise of German football from the terrors of 5-1. Uh, in, that must be fun, you being English but living in Germany. So uh, that must come up a bit. But Rafa has given a superlative on the cover of your book. Have you met Rafa? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I uh, covered Rafa for a few months at the, the Athletic this year as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's given me a, a very, very nice quote uh, well, I was enjoying some of your pieces. Um, you wrote one about Hertha and Union. Um, you call these people uh, ordinary people. I don't know if it was you or if it was the, the guys from uh, Talking Fussball or Chris Lee at Outside Right, where you've also talked about Scheisse, we're going up. But oddballs, you've talked about these oddballs. So in about two minutes, can you pick your favourite oddball from this book? Well, uh, I mean... It, I, I always come back to the same, same guy who's, who's the first chapter is a guy called Andorra who is a very much larger than life pop artist who, who used to go to when as a kid in the in sort of 60s and 70s East Berlin and um, has, has many a, a remarkable tale about his exploits back then. He eventually uh, managed to get out of East Germany, um, became an artist in the West and, and eventually kind of after many years he, he Painted a, a Soviet, well, no, a Russian rocket that, that orbited space. He, he, he painted F1 cars and, and electric guitars and all these kinds of things. Um, eventually, he sort of worked his way back to Union, uh, where he's now kind of unofficial club artist. And he, the corner flags, if you look closely at the first array, are, are a bit unusual. They, they essentially look like a little little monster coming off the flagpole. Um, and that's that's Andorra's doing. He's sort of created this little creature, um, which which supposedly sums up the, the spirit of the club. Well, and I, I would think that the pop artist himself sums up the spirit because football is nothing, as we learned, as this great PR kind of uh, slogan goes. Without the fans, what is football? Football can go on without fans. We're we having a World Cup in Qatar this year. I don't care about it. But my final question is, um, Jordan Peefock, is he going to play against England for the USA? Um, I asked him about that the other week and uh, he, was, he was relatively cagey. He said he hadn't, hadn't really... Uh spoken to Bear Healthy yet about, about who was going to Qatar so uh, I'm, I'm not sure if he'll be in that squad mm. uh, I'm not an expert on the US men's national team but I hope he is because he, he looks really really good and he's got a fantastic goal for on the other week Yes and we'll find out if he can do it on a wet Thursday night in Manchester <laughs> North London um, so we'll look out for the draw for the Europa League which Union Berlin are in the book is Scheisse we're going up uh, which as this goes out came out yesterday so Kit Holden Duncan Shen and enjoy this season following Union Just like the library. Just like the library. Just like-